Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you. And treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, the podcast about history and stuff and people and subjective qualities like coolness. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. My guest is not subjectively cool oh. because she's objectively cool. <laughs> it's Shreen. Maybe not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after an introduction like that, anyone who gets introduced is less cool, but it's not yeah. their fault. It's my fault. Uh, yeah, you really set me up for failure on that one. Uh, <laughs> this is Shereen. I am back. Uh, you're welcome. Yay. This week, we are running rudderless without our captain slash producer, Sophie, which means we can finally tell you about the basement full of... You can't say that on mic, Margaret. I mean, you know who doesn't want you to know about it is. But also, we can talk about fucking gay rights. Uh, not because so- Sophie would let us talk about this also, just to be clear. I'm not trying right, to drag right. Sophie here. This is part two of a four-part series. So you're going to be a little bit confused if you don't go back and listen to part one. You'll have missed out on the guy with the leopard who funded funded like most of the trans shit in the U.S. for decades. You all got to listen to that. Yeah, you have to. You have yeah. to. You will have to learn about Henry. Henry. Gay rights icon, Henry the Leopard. Gay rights icon, Henry. He also funded the, dun-dun-dun, the Daughters of Belitis. And if you've been following along and listened and did not Google anything, today you will learn what that name means. I'm going to learn what that name means because I was a good uh, listener and didn't Google anything since Monday. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to make everyone wait a little bit longer as we go on a side quest. <laughs> Yay! A tangent on this show that's unheard of. But don't worry, it's about a lesbian crime lady, and it's good. That's allowed. The Daughters of Belitis were a response to lesbian bar culture in the Bay, in, which is the Bay of California. Mm-hmm. What is the San name Francisco. of the Bay? San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely well-traveled. So let's talk about... Lesbian bars, because most gay bars at the time were criminal enterprises in plenty more ways than one, because it was like illegal to be gay, but also run by criminals. Tommy Vasu. Like cool criminals or like yikes criminals? Oh, both. Both. Yeah. 
And sometimes people who are like both at once and you're like, oh, I wish that didn't turn me on. I do not feel good right. about myself Ooh, now. Like a big like antihero kind of guy. Yeah. Or person. A lot of antiheroes. Yeah. Gay rights was brought to you by the antihero. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple unabashed good people, but. If, if you're being faced with like terrible shit and you don't at least like adopt some terrible shit, I don't think you're going to survive. I really think that's like the, my honest opinion. I think so too. Tommy Vasu was a butch lesbian gangster who moved to San Francisco in the 40s from the Midwest. I'm going to use she pronouns because I think butch that's what Butch lesbian gangster. Used. Those are yeah. very cool altogether. Yeah. She, she lived her life as a man, um, mm-hmm. but I, I believe identified with butch culture. Um, she was born in Ohio. She lived in Michigan for a while. She moved to San Francisco and immediately set about living her best life which means that she had short hair. She wore double-breasted suits with fedoras. She drove a fucking Cadillac convertible. She passed as a man completely. She used the men's restrooms. And she was big in the crime scene doing crime stuff. Love all of that for her. Yeah. She was a pimp. She dated sex workers. I don't know one way or the other about how she treated them. I know that at least some of them she made her business partners and such. That's a a good sign. I know. Yeah. It's good. You as know. far as pimps go. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, she could have been absolutely awful to her other workers. I have no idea. Yeah. I know later she was a drug dealer selling amphetamines, weed, and heroin. It's implied that that came later, but I think people might have been implying that came later because people don't want any... People really want to whitewash gay history. Even when it comes... Like, why is drugs the, the line? That's so interesting to me. You know, there's a couple lines that I see people like avoid a lot. Um, the people who seem to be written out of these stories are the mafia, especially the gay members of the gay, the gay gangsters. Those are the people I want to learn about. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, me? we've got like, some more in here. Good, good, good. The sex workers, the drug dealers and drug users, and the prisoners mm. are the people who are all left out of this story. They're not good for the, the image as yeah. far as the, the, what they think anyway. Yeah, and so then they'll include people and be like, oh, this person who is like, a drag queen be like she was also on heroin and selling sex that doesn't make her less cool it right. makes her more cool if anything yeah not that heroin's cool but yeah no yeah it's it's a i think it just like makes someone layered and more interesting to know that like right. they weren't this one-dimensional activist person right totally it's like when we look back on the like fucking um opiate crisis that we're still in you know, people will be like, oh, and then these people who were harm reduction volunteers for no reason. You're like, because they were fucking dealing with it themselves. Not everyone, yeah. right? But like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I honestly think some of that stuff, unfortunately, like, whether it's like addiction or even just like recovering from addiction, I think your mm-hmm. empathy goes like out the window. Like, it just goes way up. Yeah. Like, I think it just like kind of makes you a more, sometimes anyway, that's my experience. But um it makes you more, but if if you're someone who's dealing with that, you're saying, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I I was gonna say mm-hmm. out the window, but I meant like mm-hmm. out like up. And out okay. the window is the opposite of what I meant. Yeah, yeah. But like I think I really think it makes you more empathetic and more like emotionally aware, and probably like I don't know. Not that I mean, I don't think anyone should do yeah. heroin. Just like to put it out there, point blank. Yeah. But I do think that sometimes addiction has like a a human, like a really human aspect to it that I don't think is like talked about enough i don't know if that makes sense well i think that also like um puts you into uh understanding the needs for need of community you know the need to like take care of each other and like yeah the people who reverse the most 
overdoses are our users, mm-hmm. you know, who, um, and that gets left out of the story. Yeah. And, no, go ahead. I think it teaches you to depend on people without shame, like hopefully, right. you know, and I think that's really hard for people. Yeah. Anyway. So Tommy, Tommy and her girlfriend owned a bar called Tommy's Place. Uh, they had a different bar before that and it moved, but... Tommy's Place was next door to, and basically the same bar as, another lesbian bar they also owned called 12 Adler Place. The liquor license was in her girlfriend's name, uh, which is how I know that her her girlfriend slash client was a business partner. Mm -hmm. The liquor license was in her girlfriend's name because Tommy's criminal record meant she couldn't get one. And Tommy is the first openly lesbian bar owner in the city. San Francisco was the place to be gay in the 50s. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's other... L.A., Chicago, uh, New York, a bunch of other places, some cool shit going on too. But but San Francisco had a lot going on for it to be gay in the 50s, partly because the beat generation had been pretty openly pro-gay and or written about how great gay sex is all the time. Mm -hmm. And there were a ton of these gay bars. But of course, because there's all these gay bars, there's the forces of reaction. The cops and the boring people didn't like all these homos moving to town. I love that you said cops and boring people. That's exactly (laughs) who they are. They're fucking boring. (laughs) Yeah. And you get this moral panic, right? Because it's like, because straight people aren't boring. Homophobes are boring. Yeah. Straight people I mean, are debatable. Fine. I'm kidding. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so you get this moral panic uh, because nothing ever changes. Some parents got freaked out that their daughters were going to Tommy's place and getting involved in the butch and femme culture and how some of them wore mannish clothes and called themselves either butch or femme. This is a thing I don't quite have time to go into. I would recommend everyone read the book Stone Butch Blues by Leslie Feinberg to talk about what it meant to be pre-Stonewall going to gay bars and like what the lesbian culture around butch and femme was. Basically, you kind of created Mm. these two genders where they would date and things like that. That's interesting. Okay, very Mm -hmm. quick, very quick side note. There's a book called Hijab, Butch Blues, a memoir. Ooh. And I directed the audiobook if y'all want to listen. I think it's a really amazing book. It was one of those like, there's so many things that I was just like, wow, this puts into words what I felt. But it talks mm-hmm. about how, like, like for her as a Muslim person, like God mm-hmm. was like a non-binary like entity versus just like a he or a she. And the, the way she describes it as like he's both or mm-hmm. God is both the same way she is both. I think yeah. it's just like there's a really beautiful way she says it that I can't articulate. But if you're interested in that kind of stuff, I really do recommend it. And I directed the audiobook, So that's fun. That fucking rules. I'm actually going to... Most of the stuff I read that isn't a history book, I listen to an audiobook. so... Hell yeah. Um, and Stonebridge Blues, like, shaped so much of my, like, young queer life um, by coming to understand, like, some stuff. And Yeah. I mean, if I had read cut stuff like that growing up, it would have really helped me not feel like a fucking freak, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. So you get this moral panic. 1954, the police is like... The police chief is like, we got to stop all these homosexuals. So they started arresting people in bars and parks and shit like that. Uh, on September 8th, 1954, the SFPD raid Tommy's place in 12 Adler Place. And the charges are around drugs. Um, a heroin kit was found. People claim it was planted. I literally don't know or care. Mm-hmm. The media refers to the place as a vice academy because it's convincing young girls to act mannish and do drugs and shit. And <laughs> I know you're thinking, you're like, you know, the police are raiding this place. I bet there's some way that they can arrest a straight black man and pin everything on him. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. 
the media was also like, it's a way to lure young white girls into sleeping with black men to go to this wow. gay bar. That's one way to really get some bigots up in arms. Oh, God. Uh-huh. And they referred to it as white slavery. And That's so funny. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's no, kind of it's, been repeated in, in recent times. Just the idea of white oppression, and it's just laughable every time. Yeah, but I know, and like, there's so many things wrong with the words white white slavery. Yeah, because some of them include the word for that is slavery. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like it's not worse when it happens to white people. Another yeah. thing wrong with it is it's often code for we hate sex workers. There's anyway. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. There, that's that's a that's a loaded thing. I mean, yeah. implying that slavery means sl- black enslavement by yeah. saying white in front of. I mean, that's already like a yeah, yeah, a can of worms. Um, uh, so canceled 1950s media <laughs> in job. San Francisco. Um, <laughs> but I mean, actually, yeah, fuck them. Uh, but then, okay, you're gonna have some listeners being like, my my ancestors are, were Irish and they were mm-hmm. enslaved and they were white, so. There's always that person that's like reminds yeah. you of of the white people that were slaves. Uh, yeah, which does so. not include the Irish in the United States of America. Um, as someone of Irish descent, it does include. Now, if you're saying that because your family is in like 14th century Iceland, you might be telling the truth. <laughs> there was a lot of Irish slavery in like some port. The founding of Iceland was like, I think, 40 percent Irish slaves. Anyway. I, I mean, I just, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I have genuinely had a person I know that looked yeah. like the most Aryan person I've ever met in my life with like a very, like a, just yeah. a bunch of privilege kind of like counteract an argument I made about racism because he was like, my family were slaves. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And that was my first experience like 15 yeah. years ago with the idea that people yeah. genuinely cling to that as far as like I was oppressed too. Yeah. Because people, why do you, why do people just like want to be oppressed so bad? They do. Because so bad. whiteness is the eradication of culture mm. in exchange for privilege. And people on a gut level, don't get me wrong, these people are doing bad when they say shit like this. Yeah. But on a gut level, people are like, I want to have culture um, yes. instead of this privilege. And so like, they want to, to trade it. And it's just like, we don't get to make that decision. Um, right. But we can like... Ah, uh, whatever. Yeah, it's a whole other fucking... I mean, I just like what mm-hmm. you said. I'm going to remember that that whiteness is the eradication of culture because you've put into words something that is very true. Maybe it's been said before and I just haven't been paying attention, but I like that you said it because yeah. now I know it. So well, thanks. Thank yeah, and, and that's like part of the whole like thing about like, you know, when we say like get rid of whiteness, we don't mean get rid of white people. We mean get rid of whiteness. We get, get rid of this like weird devil's bargain where suddenly mm-hmm. you don't have an ethnicity. You're just privileged. Right. And like get rid of white privilege and like, I don't know, whatever. Um, okay, very quick side note. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. no, I, I'm going to get hate for that. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. Well, I'm already going to get hate for what I, yep. Well, okay. There's uh-huh. a Bastards episode that I was on. Was it on Bastards? Uh-huh. Okay, there's a whole thread on Reddit that says that I hate white people, that I'm racist against white people, and I want all white people to die because I said <laughs> that white people ruined yoga or like something like that, and that just like became a whole beast on its own. Where uh, I don't know how that happened, but there's like people are defensive about that stuff. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The fact that like you can say whiteness and kind of try to equate it to like this eradication, and right. then 
someone jumps on that and like thinks I want to like genocide white people. Uh, yeah, just an interesting uh, point. And men, genocide yeah. white people and men. That's the what, that's what the thread is about. I think. Yeah, that. Anyways, like that's such a funny, funny, good story that I went through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. Ugh. It's funny now. After this raid, patrons were forced to testify against the bar or go to jail themselves. Um, one of the bartenders, a white woman, got six months for serving beer to minors. A black man who was a regular there. This is the this is the person that the whole scare was around. He got five years for supplying marijuana to a minor. Um, so. 10 times the sentence and the bar's liquor license was revoked and the bar closed. And the whole thing was this like, but young people come here and drink. There was this girl who claimed that she'd been drinking here since she was 13, Uh, which is probably true. She was drinking at every bar in San Francisco when she was 13. And she said as much and they closed this one down because it was gay. Wow. Tommy, uh, the rest of, to, to fast forward her life. And if you fast forward anyone's life, it sounds bad because then you're like, and then they die, you know, right? Right, right, right. Tommy got arrested in 1968, so 10 years later, for dealing, um, 15, 14 years later, got arrested for dealing, spent five years in prison, and then was murdered in 1979. <gasps> and I could not find out, someone knows, but I did not, was now able to find out whether it was a hate crime thing or a, you're a, a gangster and you do well, crime for a living. And that's that is a terrible it. way to go either way. Yeah, totally. Her spot wasn't the only gay bar uh, in San Francisco, not, not in the slightest. You have a diner called the Paper Doll, which is mostly a lesbian spot that was so crowded they crammed strangers into the booths with you, which sounds like hell to me, but was a good mm-hmm. way for people to meet each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Gordon's, a mostly gay male spot opened by a guy who had worked for the Paper Doll because LGBT people, be- we, we belong together, we care for each other, yeah. you know, we help each other start our own things. Yeah. You had the Beige Room which was a drag theater with trapeze swings hanging from the ceiling. And tourist buses stopped at this place, which was actually apparently a common source of income for 50s and 60s gay bars across the country as tourists would come and be like, hell yeah, drag. Because drag's fucking cool. Yeah. And then you had The Front, another lesbian-owned bar. And The Front was really interesting. It's kind of the inverse of Tommy's place. Because Charlotte Coleman, she had been in the Coast Guard, and then she was an auditor for the IRS. So she's like normie, right? Uh Uh-huh. Until the lavender scare got her fired from working as an auditor for the IRS. That's going to turn you. That's going to turn you. In the end, she was glad she was fired. I mean, you know, I doubt she was like, man, the lavender scare rules. But she certainly was happier as a bar owner in San Francisco instead of an auditor for the IRS. And when when she opened the front, she ran the entire thing herself with no employees, noon till close, seven days a week. And in order to avoid what Tommy's Place did, I assume Tommy's Place paid off the cops. I couldn't promise you that. But what she did in order to avoid attention was she opened it in the industrial district, like in a warehouse somewhere. And what that meant was that working class men would stop by and get a drink on their way home from work. And they were all buds. This part's so heartwarming. The the working class men, they never disparagingly, like they weren't harassing them, but they called the lesbians the fruit so the lesbians called them the vegetables. Oh my god! And that is the most precious thing you've ever said on the, on this podcast. I know. And then when shit would break, the like worker dudes would just like go fix shit for free at their favorite bar, the lesbian wow. bar in the warehouse district helping of San the Francisco. And, and yeah, us vegetables, vegetables is going to help them yeah. out. That is so funny. You know that, that one great. guy walked in there and was like, "I'm the meat," and people were like, "Get out." Yeah. <laughs> 
Or one person was like, I'm a tomato. And then they were like, that actually means you're a fruit. And then just a long pause. And then they were like, you yeah. know what, you're not wrong. Yeah. And then she came out as a trans Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, and one of the front's first events was a benefit for the lesbian organization that I've 20 minutes into this episode promised I'm going to tell you about called <laughs> the really Daughters of Belitis. I forgot about it though. I, I know. About, that's how I my know. brain works. It's just like I was on a ride. I was on a different ride. But yeah. please, I can't wait. Well, you're going to have to wait after these ads. No! Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now. Specifically, when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza, right now you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, catch up on previous seasons, and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli history wherever you listen to podcasts. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com And we're back. In 1955, there was a Filipina lesbian named Rose Bamberger, and she decided with her partner that they needed a lesbian social club. They were tired of only hanging out in bars. I really can't blame them. Mm-hmm. And they got together with three other lesbian couples because lesbians. Yeah. And on September 21st, 1955, they were like, what is the gayest name we could possibly imagine for our new social club? <laughs> I don't know if that's actually what they said, but they came up with the gayest name. They picked Daughters of Belitis based on a book called The Songs of Belitis, which is a French 19th century lesbian poetry book written by a guy named Pierre Louis, who probably banged Oscar Wilde, but was definitely friends with Oscar Wilde. He banged him. Yeah, probably. 
and who wrote about pagan sexuality, aka gay sex all the time. But he also wrote this book, Songs of Belitis, which he claimed weren't written by him, but instead were ancient Greek lesbian poetry that was found on the walls of a tomb in Cyprus, written up by a made-up ancient Greek lesbian poet named Belitis, who was contemporaries with Sappho, the ancient Greek, Greek pansexual whose life is the reason we have the word sapphic and lesbian because yes. she lived yeah. on the island of Lesbos. So the book, when it came out, Song, Songs of Belitis, it was so successful that people thought it was actually an ancient Greek poetry thing for a while. Um, I don't know whether eventually it was like, surprise, bitches, this is me. Or like, right, yeah. But it already had made its mark at that point. Yeah. Um, and because the 19th century rules in weird interconnected ways, Claude Debussy, one of my favorite composers, wrote a bunch of songs mm-hmm. from the Songs of Belitis into actual songs. Um, and his dad fought in the Paris Commune, which you can listen about with my wow. episode with Miriam Roshek about the Paris Everything Commune. Everything is connected. That's I wild. I know. Daughters of Belitis. Yeah. Which just sounds like they belong in Vampire the Masquerade. And I'm not convinced yeah. they aren't vampires. They form the Daughters of Belitis. I mean, I just imagine like a bunch of Badass like Joan of Arc people, you know what I mean? That's that, that's where my head goes. Oh yeah, yeah, like with like chainmail and shit. Yeah, just yeah. like some Fucking badasses. Into yeah. Fucking into it. And they about their weird name. Some of the founders said, "Quote: If anyone asked us, we could always say we belong to a poetry club." <laughs> <laughs> and they had four goals besides socializing. One: education of the variant, which was their word for temperamental. Love it. Two, education of the public. Three, participation in research projects. They were into the idea that they would all go volunteer for these like human sexuality subjects in Mm. studies in order to prove that they're normal, you know? And four, investigation of the California Penal Code. And they got support from the Mattachine Society and I believe also One Incorporated. They shared an office with them on Mission Street. Mattachine, not not One. And they kind of similarly to Mattachine took their super cool name and mission and went really assimilationist with it. No! Say it ain't so. They encouraged people to dress and act normal. Several of the founders left when they shifted away from their original purpose, but in this case, the original purpose was social club, and then it became more activist, so a lot of the founders mm-hmm. left. And they um, they made a magazine called The Ladder, starting 1956, using Mattachine's mimeograph machine. The Ladder, like a... like uh, a Climb it up, tool? like the D's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not a tool. What am I fucking saying? You, I, yeah, I sort of a, I don't know. Um, what is it called? What would you, it's what is the ladder. class of objects? Yeah, I, I know, know, it's a ladder. And they made this magazine and like, as far as I could tell, the point of making this magazine at first was to convince like lonely rural queer ladies to come move to San Francisco to expand their dating pool. I mean, I I love that. I yeah. love that that's, that was thought about because I'm sure... There were so many of those people that were just like waiting for the correct thing yeah. to just like jump on. But no, also, totally. um, I respect, I respect the effort. I respect the effort for sure. Yeah. Here's a quote from their first issue. What will be the lot of the future lesbian? Fear, scorn? This need not be if lethargy is supplanted with an energized constructive program, if cowardice gives way to the solidarity of a cooperative front. Wait, can you repeat that? I want yeah. to hear that poetry. Yeah. What will be the lot of the future lesbian? Fear, scorn? This need not be if lethargy is supplanted by an energized, constructive program, if cowardice gives way to the solidarity of a cooperative front. Hmm. Basically, it's like, we fucking work together and we can fucking do this shit. Yeah. That sounds like it would be like from the Daughters of Belitis, just right? like the, the, the way it's worded. Yeah. I know, I know. 
And the art on this magazine rules, and it's worth looking at. Um, it was eventually subtitled A Lesbian Review, the first time in a magazine in the U.S. used the word lesbian, like, in its titling. Oh, well, yeah. And they ran a mail order for hard-to-find lesbian books. Uh, they held the first lesbian convention in the U.S., though cops came and made sure no one was cross-dressing. That's the weirdest stuff, whatever. Fucking cops. Yeah. And they organized lesbians to participate in psychological studies. And then in the latter, one of the things that they did was spread information on how to handle arrests. Quote, don't plead guilty, call your attorney, don't volunteer information. In fact, don't mm-hmm. talk to anyone about anything. That holds up. That's good advice. I was going to say, that's like, that's what we tell people now. Yeah. And they had listicles. Like, imagine this on the checkout stand. <laughs> 13 ways a woman can assert her rights in case of arrest. Wow. Their numbers uh, never got... Uh-huh. That, that's just like... That's the, that, those are the tabloids that uh that I want back. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want those instead of Star. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyways, totally. I, I I respect them. I respect yeah. that. Well, in episode four, we're going to talk about a queer organization called Star. Don't worry. Oh. Street oh. transvestite action revolutionaries. Wow. Oh, it's like an acronym. Yeah. That's fucking sick. Yeah. I love an acronym. Their numbers never get really high. The daughter's politis. Um. A bunch of different explanations are offered, not by them, but by, like, future historians or whatever. Uh, It was mostly for middle-class folks, predominantly white, but not overwhelmingly so. There was very explicit racial inclusion. Many of its founders were Filipino, or at least one of the founders was Filipino. I've heard that two of them were. Some of its leaders were people of color. They had a black president for a while. Mm. They were trying. They were better than than most, yeah. And and frankly, ahead of the curve for 50s and 60s. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but, I have to remind myself that it, that's that's the decade it was in because in my head right. it was like, at, like it, without realizing it, I'm like, oh, 70s or like 80s right. or whatever. But the fact totally. that it was so long ago is even more impressive. Yeah. But the assimilationist model of it just didn't really light a spark in people. And they talk a bunch of shit on butches and gay bars, um, which is like where more of the lesbian culture is, is happening. Mm. By the mid-60s, both the Daughters of Belitis and Mattachine are both getting a little bit more, actually, society needs serious changing. And so mm-hmm. they do start getting a little bit more radical. In 1964, the, or they get more political, I guess is a better way to say it. The, in 1964, the Daughters picketed a cathedral because a church guy inside had yelled at another church guy for supporting queers. Um, because actually, religion has never been united on the issues of gay people in one direction mm-hmm. or the other. And these groups all together... They get called the homophile movement. Movement. They use the word homophile to emphasize that it was about love, which is sweet. But could you imagine the fucking discourse? Like if this was on Twitter, like right. So you've got another one of these groups around at this time. Um, I'm sure there's more, but this one also had a really metal name, the Janus Society. J A N U S. Janus. Could you imagine showing up at the like? The big group, the big thing that collected all the homophile groups was called Echo, I think, the East mm-hmm. Coast homophile organizations, or at least the East Coast ones were. But could you imagine showing up as, like, the Delaware Association of guys who like fucking other guys, and everyone else is, like, Obliviator, the Society of Destroyers, yeah. first of their name? <laughs> um, You're Janus. Yeah. So the Janus Society was a Philly area group that had both men and women, and they got their name from the Roman god Janus who had two faces and is the god of dualities and beginnings and endings and just all kinds of metal shit. In 1965, Janus Society... Oh, with a U. Yeah. Janus. Like J-A-N-U-S, like the fucking movie logo. Okay, finally I put together Uh, what you were saying with that reference. I'm an idiot. Uh, I was thinking of the white woman's name Janus this whole time. But 
Janice is a really cool god now yeah. that you say that. And it's the fucking logo from that really cool company. So anyway. Fuck yeah. I don't know what company. Yeah. Is it it's called a, Janice? It's a, like a restoring or like film company that like just does some really cool shit and like helps restore old films. But oh, the cool. logo itself is like a two headed, like a coin that has like two heads on it. I'm pretty sure. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. In 1965, they held a sit-in, just like straight up at a lunch counter um, in Philly, where queer people and cross-dressers were being refused service. Um, After about 150 queer people had been denied service at this lunch counter, three teenagers, two boys and one girl, just sat the fuck down and refused to leave. Um, And they were arrested. So then the president of the Janus Society, Clark Polak, he's a gay Jewish man. Um, and we're going to talk more about him in a second. He got arrested next during this. He just went and was like, all right, you're going to arrest these kids. You're going to fucking arrest mm. me. So then three more people come in and sit down. And this time the cops refused to arrest them. And eventually the police had to start serving queers, I think. Um, but if nothing else, they stopped arresting them, stopped kicking them out. Right. Janice Society, in particular that guy Clark Polak, they published a magazine called Drum, which was a gay magazine that got its name. I just like the sources of all their names. No, I, I, yeah. it's quite fascinating. Yeah, I want to know. It got its name from that book Walden by Thoreau, and it includes this quote in every issue from that book. If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears the beat of a different drummer. Mm. And in this case, the beat that this magazine heard was hot naked guys. (laughs) (laughs) I love that these names have these like very deep (laughs) meanings that like you only know if you were in on it. Yeah, you know, totally. I, I love that. I and love I don't that. know the latter's meaning. I looked a little bit, but I couldn't find mm. it. Um, I'm sure if I read an entire book about the daughter's blightus, I, right. I would know. But. Right, right, right. So this becomes the most popular gay magazine in the country because it has hot naked guys in it. It also gets in a lot of trouble. Its other motto was less poetic and just as cool. Put the sex back into homosexuality. So you know where they would have been in the Twitter discourse. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. That's amazing. This got Clark Polak arrested and sent to prison, as did him running a peep show. And the magazine disbanded. Um, Because once again, sex work and uh, gay stuff do... It's it's not the same history, but there's a fucking huge Venn diagram. Yeah. And not everything that happened during this era happened in the name of various organizations. In particular, what was called transvestites at the time they're left out a lot of the assimilations rhetoric because we're harder to grapple with and explain um, something that's happening now. But while organizations were more like trying to be respectable, the street queers and LGBT across the spectrum were just fucking willing to get rowdy. So now we get to talk about some of the riots. Hell yeah. Los Angeles, 1959, there was a thriving queer community in scene and the cops kept fucking with it. They would arrest people and they would print their names in the paper as queers as a big like scare tactic. It's like doxing back then, basically. basically. That's so stupid. Yeah. In May 1959, some queer folks were hanging out at a 24-hour donut shop called Cooper Donuts on Skid Row. And this place was right between two different gay bars and was totally fine with its clientele. It it was a 24-hour donut shop between two gay bars. That's who, Mm -hmm. you know, probably who fucking worked there. I don't know. So the cops came in and were fucking with people one night. And one night they came in and they were fucking with two drag queens, two male sex workers, and a guy who was just out looking to get laid. And so the cops arrest a bunch of people, uh, including this Mexican-American author, John Retchie. And people watching this are like, no, no, you're just, you're just not actually going to do that. So they start throwing coffee and donuts and trash at the cops. Oh, my <laughs> God. 
That is incredible. That's the ride that I want to join. Yeah. That's great. That's so good. Coffee and donuts, particularly at uh-huh. cops, which is like they have that whole fucking stereotype. Uh-huh. Ah, <laughs> kiss. And then it works. They drive the cops off with no one getting arrested. And it's usually presented as the first gay riot in the U.S. I don't have any counter argument. And I, yeah, I love that it's throwing donuts at cops or trying to arrest a Mexican man and some cross-dressers and sex workers. And they fucking won. And they fucking won. That's amazing. I'm yeah. so glad you told me about that. The yeah. visuals in my brain are so beautiful. Yeah. Okay, this next one's real good, too. Hell yeah. Okay. August 5th, 1961 in Milwaukee, which I misspelled in my script and I... Oh, well. Who knows? Who cares? Yeah. yeah. No one we'll needed to know. know that. Yeah. Four Navy assholes, they show up at a dare at an illegal gay bar called Black Knight. Um, it was illegal as in it didn't bother having a liquor license. Mm. The four Navy guys, they refused to show ID to the bouncer. So the bouncer's like, sorry, buds, you're leaving. They might have not phrased it that politely. I don't know. <laughs> so all four of them jumped the bouncer. What they didn't take into account was that the bouncer happened to be married to Josie fucking Carter, a black drag queen who was ex-Navy herself, who was there to perform. She actually lived full-time as a woman, but it didn't identify as trans. She had a parrot with her, just to set the scene, know that she always went to the bar with her parrot. This is incredible. Josie fucking Carter, um, I'm adding that middle name, uh, walks, out of a, walks out with a beer bottle on each hand and just fucks up the Navy guys. <laughs> wow. To quote her, this man turned on me. I thought, I can't let him put his hands on me. He was big and he kept coming at me. I thought he would kill me. In that moment, I could fight off an army in a bathrobe. I let him have everything that was in that bottle. He went down. That's amazing. So the Navy oh. guys fuck off and take the bottled guy to the hospital. So a dozen more Navy fucks show up. They like go oh, and no. get their friends. They're like, oh, we're going to go fuck up these queers. Yeah, we'll show you. Yeah. yeah. In the bar, everyone's like, oh shit, what do we do? Do we run? Josie says about it later, quote, but we did not run from a fight. We did not run from nothing. God, what a badass. Uh-huh. Beer bottle. And the terror is on her parrot. the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's probably at the bar, but you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So 12 Navy guys show up and they just start literally tearing the bar apart. Like, I think it's like a makeshift bar or something. And right. 75 gay patrons just fuck them up. Um, a bunch of people on both beautiful. sides get hospitalized. The cops, kind of miraculously, they arrest the Navy guys and not the bar patrons. Wow. But the charges are a, dropped right off. What a time. I know. I know. But the charges are dropped immediately, you yeah, said? Yeah, yeah. Um, but at least the gay folks defending themselves don't go to jail. Yeah. All right. Another riot. San Francisco, 19. These are all amazing. Like, I know. There's always something that makes it, like, crazy and I beautiful. I know. That's amazing. The parrot, the donuts. Yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. Just the fact that she was like a Navy ex-person. It was yeah. just like... Uh, yeah, totally. Simple. Next ride on the list, San Francisco, 1966. It's in the Tenderloin District, which apparently gets its name from basically being the district where cops can get bought off through like old-timey slang. I've always wondered that. That's yeah. what it's from. It's from a New York thing. Yeah. Um, Tenderloin. I've always wondered the origin of that. That's so I know, and now I'm like, I can't... I like looked up the exact origin and then like summarized it that way. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't... Oh, well, whatever. I have bad memory. Whatever. Just, let's go with it. Yeah. Tenderloin in, L- in San Francisco, the center of LGBT community in San Francisco at the time. It was also home to a large number of trans women doing sex work. Uh, there weren't a lot of jobs available to non-passing trans women then, unlike now. It is better now, but it's not fucking easy as a... Slightly. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, it's still a point of contention, unfortunately. Yeah, totally. 
Um, and also, trans women and crossdressers often weren't welcome at gay bars. And we're going to talk more about that later when we talk about Stonewall. But, like, basically a lot of bars mm. were like, no, this is for, you know, cis There looking. is also, like, a discrimination within the, mm-hmm. like, the same community. That's fucking, yeah. it sucks. And it's hard to tell how much is, like, a no, we're respectable and how much is a no, what you're doing is illegal and we don't want the heat. So it's hard to know oh. whether it was, like, bigotry or cowardice or some combination of the two. You know, mm. um, it's, it's way, not good either way. Yeah, stupid. Not yeah. <laughs> neither are words that I like ascribe to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, like just you're ostracizing and like yeah, singling out a group that's already so in need of of defense or like yeah. I don't know, whatever. Totally. And if you're in need of defense, isn't one of our ads sometimes simply safe? I'm just I'm trying to make a. I don't know. Maybe let's. Ads are a thing that support this podcast. Um, you don't have to listen to them. I don't care. There's a forward button on your thing. You can't. That's a secret. Oh, right. No, I, I mean, you <laughs> must kidding. listen. <laughs> <laughs> Keep wondering if I'm ever going to get in trouble. Sophie's not here. Sophie's never stopped me either. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now. Specifically, when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli history wherever you listen to podcasts. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com And we're back from those ads that we all care deeply about. And you listen to the whole way through. That's right. So 
no one cared about the street workers in the Tenderloin, at least no one at an institutional level. Um, they were a combination of everything cops don't care about. They were poor people, people of color, trans people, gay people, sex workers, uh, homeless people. They Any one of these things is enough to get you treated like shit. And a lot of them were all of these things. So there was this chain store cafe called Compton's Cafeteria. And it had a location in the Tenderloin. It's 24 hours. It becomes a social hangout for trans workers, um, for trans sex workers in particular. And the owners suck, and they keep calling the cops on them and getting them arrested for female impersonating. Um, the law that would have sounded old-timey if we'd written this only a year ago, but is now back on the books, and I think I could get arrested for going to the grocery store in Tennessee right now. That is so scary. Genuinely. Yeah. Do we ever... Humans don't change. Society never changes. It's genuinely the same. It's like Groundhog Day. It really is. <laughs> I think we've had moments, long moments of of good, and and there's so many societies that aren't poisoned by Western stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's good to remember that our world is not the world. I yeah. guess that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, but I know I do agree that there has been stretches of of goodness. I just when you when yeah. you're reminded of like the badness that's still there, it's just fucking upsetting. Yeah, of course it is. I don't know. Yeah, but. In August 1966, the queens are hanging out doing their thing at Compton's when the cops show up and try and arrest this lady. So she throws a cup of coffee in the cop's face. Um, <laughs> people just kind of fucking blew up all their pent-up rage. Tables are flying everywhere. Cops are getting pummeled with high heels and purses. The windows are broken out. The fight moves into the street. A cop car gets smashed up. And at the end of it, Compton's As you go on, I'm just like smiling more and more. Yeah, this, this, I know. The, this is great. This is great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, I can imagine you've just been putting up with this shit for so yeah. fucking long, you know? Just like purses and high heels and like yeah. starting it off with a cup of coffee. I'm going the next ride I go to, I will bring a cup, <laughs> cup of coffee because I think that's Hell the yeah. most amazing thing. And yeah. a donut. Just yeah. fuck you. Oh my god. I I think it was during the the ultra globalization stuff. There's these pictures of I, I think it's in Canada, anarchists in black block with um donuts on fishing poles. Oh my like, god! Tangling them in front of the cop line. That is so funny. Oh, god, we're so funny. I love it. So Compton's bans the trans community for good after this, and so no one went there anymore, and it went out of business. Hell Fuck yeah! Them. That's what yeah. you fucking get, you assholes. Yeah. Wait, so I, I interrupted you. From. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I do that sometimes. I apologize, but no, no. Uh, you were talking about the car getting smashed. Is that like? What That's happened kinda, after that? Yeah, they kind of like the. I don't have the like specifics about how the riot. But were they like wound arrested down, or like I don't know. I don't know. Um, mm. I, I found a bunch of. I don't know because I have a bad memory and I didn't okay. put it in the script. That is the answer. Well, I'm going to believe that they drove the cops away. So that's yeah. My, that's my take. Yeah, and I know that there was like um. There's this whole other part of this where this uh radical queer group was also like picketing and stuff at the place. Mm -hmm. I just, it had ended up being like a level of complexity more than I was going to include in the script. But, and all of this, and the riot also, it sparked change. It's kind of like a, it's funny, it's like I would say a mini Stonewall. The riot was about the same size as Stonewalls, I think. Maybe, maybe it was smaller, but like it had this like fairly major local impact in that mm. people knew that the, the queer people fought back. Yeah. And also more services and stuff started appearing and being built and like not being destroyed as part of trying to, to make things better. 
Then one more, this one's unfortunately a a one-sided police riot. L.A., the next year, 1967, the Black Cat Tavern. And there's this new gay bar, it's doing its thing, it's New Year's. As the year changes, some gay people kissed each other. Just terrible thing. Mm. Be awful. Gay kissing. Just Just don't think about that right now and smile. That would be a terrible thing. Some gay people kissed on fucking New Year's, so undercover cops and the crowd just started beating the shit out of everyone. Uh, beat, beat people unconscious, arrested people. Customers fled to a nearby gay bar where cops found them and arrested them, being like, no, I saw you two kiss. I'm going to personally track you through the streets. They have nothing better to do than to go undercover at a fucking New Year's party at a bar? Yeah. Like, yeah, are yeah. you shitting me? Yeah. God, they're all fucking clowns. I know. I don't want to insult clowns, no. They're all fucking losers. Yeah. And two of the men who kissed on New Year's became registered sex offenders. Wow. And the Supreme Court refused to hear their case. They argued that they had the right to equal protection under the law. The law did not agree with them. Um, In response, this is the first group I've found called Pride. A group called Pride, Personal Rights in Defense and Education, Mm. Which is the most bullshit acronym, the personal rights and defense, whatever. What I don't care. Yeah, it's Pride. Yeah. A group called Pride, they threw a protest, um, and about 200 people showed up. And it was orderly because there was, it was way the fuck contained by a very militant LIPD. The, basically, they're like, oh my God, the homos are organizing. And, like, mm-hmm. and this is seen as one of the first protests for gay rights. I mean, there's other like small pickets and stuff like that, right. you know, but this is um, like a sea people. change. Yeah. Yeah. And the organizational gay rights activists also did a lot of stuff during this time. It goes a little bit uncredited because it wasn't riots. Um, or I guess sort of dismissed as less radical because it was less radical, frankly, and, and I'm less interested in it, but it's important. The Mattachine Society, for example, got the mayor of New York to stop the policy of entrapping gay men for solicitation. And that fucking matters, you know? Mm-hmm. It really does. In April 1965, some folks from the Mattachine uh, Society led the first gay rights protest of the White House. Um, and I think this includes that guy, Frank, we were talking about way at the beginning, who I said is just like woven mm-hmm. into everything that isn't a riot. In 1967, a man named Jack Nichols was one of the first Americans to get on TV and to be basically like, yeah, I'm gay. What do you want? Um, and he did this. Like he was a bit of a, like there's some contentious stuff about him that I don't remember well enough to go into. But he did this even though his dad was a fucking FBI agent who said he would kill his own son if the government ever found out that he was gay. Like if wow. the son was gay. He was like, I will fucking murder you if you come out. And that Jack, the son, he did it anyway. And he got fired from the hotel he worked at the next day. So people are like, they'll talk about it. They'll be like, oh, first gay man on TV, big landmark or whatever. Not this man could have been murdered by his father right. and was fired from his job. So Jack goes on to found Gay Magazine in 1969, the first weekly gay newspaper in the U.S. And... As protests in the U.S. in general are starting to heat up, especially around civil rights in the Vietnam War, basically, like, you start seeing shit change about what people think is how people should protest and things. And you start getting the first regular recurring marches, the kind of thing that later becomes the pride marches in a way. Mm. Um, People like to argue about the exact lineage because everyone wants to fucking own pride. Everyone wants to be like, no, it was us. No, it was them. No, it it was fucking all of us. What do you fucking want? I'm like... Can't we all be happy that we're gay and alive and be proud of all the gay dead people who came before us as fucking literal battering rams? Yeah, I mean, infighting is always just 
what yeah. the bad guys always want. You're, yeah. you're doing the work for, for them, basically. The That's meanies. what I can't get over. Yeah, yeah. The, the hateful meanies want hateful you to meanies. infight. You're doing their work for them. Yep. So there's criminal gays and respectable gays and gay people of every gender and every type involved in all this shit. And these early gay marches, and they're called annual reminders, which is kind of morbid and beautiful. Mm-hmm. They were held every July 4th from 1965 to 1969 in Philly at Independence Hall, which is the building that the De- Declaration of Independence and the Constitution came from. Uh, and they were organized by the Mattachine Society, the Daughters of Belitis, and the Janus Society, coming together as ECHO, the East Coast homo- homophile organizations. Mm-hmm. The only modern group I can think of with as good of a naming convention is the journal Baden, which is named after the medieval English sort of third sex trans women or gay men. Anyway. Interesting. These annual reminders, they're very serious affairs. A dress code was enforced, jackets and ties for the boys, dresses for the women. Gays were supposed to be presentable and employable. (laughs) They didn't have huge turnouts because they're boring. Right. 40 people or so came. The last one, July 4th, 1969, two women broke ranks from it and held hands. And one of the organizers was like, no, you can't do that. And tried to like separate the women holding hands. That... uh, this is why I talk shit on assimilationist stuff. It's silly. No, it's stupid. Um, it's it's yeah. like a, you're really doing the work of your oppressors. That's all yeah. it is. It's really yeah. backwards. and You lose the plot. That's what happens. Yeah, totally. And, and by 1969, this time for solemn annual reminders was over. The time for gay liberation had begun because of something that happened one week earlier from July 4th, 1969, a thing that people remember more than solemn picketing. People remember when people threw fucking Molotovs at cops who tried to arrest them for cross-dressing and kissing other boys or whatever. People remember the Stonewall fucking riots, which we will talk about next week. Woohoo! Don't Google anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or talk to any other person. (laughs) Yeah. No spoilers. Yeah. Uh, But that was good. I, I always learn so much. Like, not to... Not to shit on any other podcasts, but I, I'm always so engaged when you're explaining stuff because, I don't know, you just do it well. Maybe it's because it's the like good stuff too. Maybe I just don't want to remember the bad <laughs> stuff, so I'm like tuning it out. But, but I, I really think, uh, I don't know. I'm, I, it's funny to be recorded as I learn stuff, but I'm glad. I again, I'm representing the dummies out there. I'm you, and you're me, and it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and I was a dummy about all of this last week. You know, that makes me feel like a less dummy. Um, yeah. Yeah. People yeah. are like, wow, how do you know everything? I'm like, because every week I read like two right. books and like yeah. a ton of articles. I am excited to learn how uh, we upgraded from coffee to Molotov cocktails because that's pretty. Oh, yeah. Pretty nice. That is a, uh, that is an escalation. I do. Yeah. I do confess. Yeah. Which is why if you ever need to. No, we already did that joke about making Molotovs. Uh, but if people want to make connection with your work that was that was uh you stumbled but i will accept it i will i will pick you back up thank you okay. Margaret. um yeah. uh yeah you can follow me on the internet uh, my twitter is shirohero666 because fill in the blank and then uh my instagram <laughs> is just shirohero and yeah i made like a video essay recently that if you want to watch it that's what my brain is on it's called how can i be present when photographs exist and that's what I've been struggling with for the last several months. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the idea also, of being present. It's especially important because uh, Shiro Hiro, um, the 666 comes from Shiro's birth year, 
666. Yes. Yes. Um, because Shiro here is actually one of the original daughters of Belitis, the vampire cult. That was supposed to be revealed in the last episode. Oh. But, but thank yeah. you for, I mean, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's good that they know, you know, it's yeah. good that they know. Um, but yes, that is correct, Margaret. Thank you. Yeah. And if you want to follow me on the internet, you can do so at Magpie Killjoy on Twitter, or you can follow me on Instagram where I talk less about history and politics and more about why I like my dog at Margaret Killjoy. And I have a book out called Escape from Insel Island. And I have a bunch of bands. One of them is called Feminazgul on Bandcamp. Hell yeah. Feminist black metal. And we will see you all next week when we, when you all listen to the, our first four-parter. Well, you already listened yeah. to half of it. See y'all soon. You guys aren't sick of me yet. Just wait. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's. Because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.